When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by BowlandBranch.com, offering luxury betting at affordable prices. Order right now and they'll give you 20% off, plus free shipping. Get sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, and more at BowlandBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com and use the promo code Mom and Dad. And by Club W, leading the grape to glass wine revolution. Answer just six simple questions at clubw.com and their algorithm will create a palette profile just for you. Get wine directly to your door, perfectly customized to match your taste. For 50% off your first order, go to clubw.com slash mom and dad. And by the new middle grade novel, The Terrible Two Get Worse. The hilarious sequel to The Terrible Two, which spent more than 10 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 17th, the Trump is a very bad man edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 5, and Wally 3. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I am the dad of Lyra, who is 10, and Harper, who is 8. Hey, Dan. Hey. Thanks for doing the show without me last week. I missed you so much. (laughs) On today's show, we'll talk to parents Hillary and Jeff Whittington about raising a transgender child. Then, they said it shouldn't be done, but we're doing it anyway. We're going to talk about the election on a parenting podcast. Specifically, we're going to talk about how to talk to your kids about Trump with New York Times TV critic James Ponowozik. Also, Parenting Triumphs and Fails, a listener call about photo releases for kids. And for our Slate Plus segment, Slate designer Derek Johnson will join us to reveal pre-parenting triumphs or fails. But first, Dan. Like us on Facebook. It's so easy. Just go to facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting and press like. What do you get out of it? You can get links to our recommendations. You can yell at us for saying rude things on the air. You can get advice from other listeners. What do we get out of it? Right now, both our spouses are out of town for work. So every like that we get on our Facebook page gives us just a little bit of the love and affirmation we can no longer get at home. Let's move on to triumphs and fails. Allison? Uh, okay, I will go first. I have a what is it? Do we have like a sound effect for when I have a triumph? Benedict triumph. Benedict triumph. Woo! Woo, woo, woo. Okay. <laughs> so as Dan just mentioned, John has been out of town not for as many days as Alia has been out of town, but for a few days, including a weekend. We and should note that they are out of town for the same reason, right? Yeah, they like, are together. To remove the mystery. Yes, <laughs> it's weird. Yes, they are. Uh, Alia is the lawyer in a trial that John is 
a defense, not a defendant in, but participating in, a witness in, correct, yes. Yeah, Um, so they're in Florida uh, defending justice while we are doing a podcast. And this is not my triumph or fail, but I was going to leave Harry alone this weekend uh, for his first time ever, and I checked in with John to say I'm going to leave Harry alone for 10 minutes, and he replied, no, it's too soon, (laughs) Alia agrees. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Congratulations. So John doesn't go away very often, and when he does, if it falls over a weekend, I usually ask my mom to come in. I'm just like a wimp, and I feel like I can't handle all three of my kids by myself for an entire weekend. Um, it seems really daunting, which I'm embarrassed about because this is what you know, like our nanny does every day. Anyway, right. and every single parent on earth. Well, not with my three children. That's every true. They have better children. My three children. <laughs> But this time I didn't ask for help, and the triumph is just simply that we had a really great weekend. Like, it was just, it was actually, I'm glad John was away. I made the right amount of plans and unloaded them the right amount of time on other, you know, for play dates, but we also did a lot of fun, chill stuff together, and I was good about, like, planning easy trips and activities but not being too ambitious, and we also went grocery shopping and got haircuts and got some stuff done. Uh, and I felt happy. So uh, good job for my kids. And the only time there were any tears was at one point I said, we don't need no stinking dad. And that made Sam cry because he missed John. And he was really <laughs> mad that I called him stinking. But that was that was it. Uh, that's a great triumph. And yes, doing a full weekend uh, on your own can be really daunting. Um, it is a great reminder of that single parents do this on their own all their time, yes. all the time. So I went to... Um, we had dinner with a single mom in our neighborhood whose kids are friends with Lyra and Harper. And she was like, hey, well, how's it going so far without Alia? And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. It's hard, as you know. But and I didn't certainly wasn't going to complain to this person who um, who does all the time what I was struggling to do on my own, like for a week. Um, but yes, good job. That is a good triumph. Good work. Thanks. What do you uh, I have a fail. Do we have a special sound effect for that? (laughs) You should make a triumph sound when I have a fail. Uh, My fail this week was um, pointed out to me by my daughter. Sometimes fails are just things that I realize that I'm doing wrong. Um, Sometimes, in this case, it was pointed out to me actively by Lyra. Sometimes I have trouble taking, especially Lyra's complaints, seriously, because... And Harper's, too, because they, like, vocalize everything that they think is wrong, like, every single second. So so sometimes they have actual real problems that they feel strongly about, but then those problems are competing in the in the feed with, like, now I hate meatballs. <laughs> and so sometimes when they tell me things that they really feel strongly about, it takes me a while to recognize that it is, like, a real recurring issue and not, like, bullshit. But anyways, I was upset with Lyra about something, and she started crying, and she said, Dad... You never notice when I'm good or say anything about that. You only ever yell at me when I do something bad. So That's not true. At the moment, that was beside the point. But also, it is a little bit truer. At the very least, it is worth thinking about. So at the moment, it was a bad excuse because she really was being quite terrible. But more broadly, I think it's true, and I believe that she's really frustrated that I spend much more energy like – correcting the things that she does that are bad than I do observing the times that she is being the great kid that she usually is most of the time. Now, that doesn't mean that I need to praise everything that she does, but I bet I could mix it up a little bit more and I could be like not such a fucking hard ass all the time, which is something that as in previous fails, I struggle with sometimes. So I'm going to try. 
I mean, okay, that's great. I definitely think it's good to obviously, you know, tell your kids how great they are. But I also don't think, I mean, there's like a baseline that like doesn't necessarily warrant praise. No, no. I so what I told her is that I'm not going to what, well, and I'm not going to like correct her less. I'm not <laughs> going to ease up on her shitty behavior. But I do. Well, think that, that actually I, might be. I mean, at least in our family, like I think that's like I don't know if I feel like I need to express more to them how wonderful I think they are, but I do think probably I need to like pick my battles in ter- in terms of what I criticize. Yeah, that's probably true as well. Yeah. All right. So, mom and dad are fighting is brought to you by Bull and Branch. Parents need sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, a day of parenting can just be pretty much one long cycle of fails. But there is a company that's devoted to making sure that you get a comfortable night's sleep, BullandBranch.com. With Bull & Branch, you know you're paying for luxurious, fair trade certified sheets and not department store overhead. Go online to Bull, that's B-O-L-L, and Branch.com, and they will let you try their sheets risk-free for 30 nights, plus pillowcases, duvet covers, all that stuff. Go to BullandBranch.com today for 20% off your entire order for mom and dad or fighting listeners, plus free shipping, plus you're trying them risk-free for 30 nights if you just use the promo code MOMANDDAD. Once again, that's BullandBranch.com, promo code MOMANDDAD. All right, let's move on to our first segment. Hillary and Jeff Whittington's daughter, Ryland, was born profoundly deaf. When she received cochlear implants at the age of two and began to learn to speak, they were a little bit surprised when one of the first things she said to them was, I am a boy. In Raising Ryland, Hillary's book written with Christine Gaspar, Hillary tells her family story, how she and her husband struggled to understand that Ryland was truly transgender and how helping him transition has changed their lives. Hillary and Jeff are on speakerphone with us right now from San Diego, where they live. Hey, guys. Thanks for being on the show. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So you talk in the book uh, about kids who are transgender exhibiting three criteria, and they're the criteria that you found, Hillary, as you started doing research on this, as you were trying to figure out what was going on with Ryland. Uh, you refer to it as being insistent, persistent, and consistent. Uh, what are a few examples um, from Ryland's childhood, early childhood, about how that preference manifested itself early in life? I mean, I, I would say that around two years old, Ryland had a strong aversion to anything feminine, um, including clothes, um, anything that had to do with little girls Ryland did not relate to. And um, there were a few things that Ryland didn't want to wear a shirt. In the pool, Ryland wanted to wear males, typically males clothing and bathing suits and play with boy toys. Well, I mean, that was the big part. I mean, it was really what you see from a child of that age. You know, they're usually, it's clothing and toys that you see them really display, uh, you know, their gender uh, most prominently or their gender identity. And, and with Rylan, like she mentioned, with the clothing and the toys, we saw that just consistent in that aversion to anything that would be typically considered to be feminine. Um, never wavered on that. It just And it, it just grew in strength, certainly with every step that we allowed Rylan to take. And, you know, that's where a lot of people say, well, how did you know it just it wasn't a phase? And, you know, with phases, you don't see this increase in intensity and just that consistency that just never wavers. I and mean, he never, ever wavered from it. Over the course of years, right? 
Yes, right. correct, over the course of years. Once you um, sort of started to consider that this wasn't just a phase, did you for a time think that Rylan was a lesbian? And, and, and did you seek, what kind of professional advice did you seek to figure that out? Yeah, I think the most, right away I thought Rylan would, would maybe just be a lesbian one day because of, at the time, you know, his very masculine behavior. And I think that's really common that most people confuse gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, I know that we did, and most people do confuse the two, but it's completely different now that I've done my research. And um, once I just started reading more about it, I realized that we were dealing with gender identity, not sexual orientation. Who are some of the professionals that you guys talk to? Uh, there's a few different. I mean, we talked to obviously Ryland's pediatrician, a social worker within San Diego who, who does gender therapy, prominent transgender representatives within the LGBT community. Um, other families. Yeah, other families. Gosh, we read every book from every psychologist we possibly could, and just we, we, we researched everything. But as far as the, the, the you know the meetings with the professionals. Uh, it really was between the pediatrician and the gender therapist. I mean, I do think that you know you're the what you guys have been working towards over the last couple of years and what you have gone through and what Ryland has gone through is something that many families in America are going through. What seems unique about your situation, as you talk about in the book, is that Ryland is one of the youngest people ever to make this decision with parents to transition. Certainly at the time, yeah, I think that what Hillary just said used to be. Um, you know, we definitely were, uh, we had a very young child in this situation um, who was transitioning, and we were very vocal and public about that, and I think that drew a lot of attention to it. But what was really interesting is with that attention uh, that was drawn to it and us displaying, you know, what had happened so openly, We've had more families than I can even begin to tell you who have come out with children of that same age, uh, you know, talking five years old, six years old, who are making these transitions even as young as four years old. So though he was one of the youngest at the time, uh, it certainly is not the case now. Your book talks about um, many of the positive responses that you got particularly to this letter that you wrote to your friends and family, trying to be very clear about what what Ryland was going through and what you were going through as a family and how friends and family could help in this transition. And you talk a lot about a, a lot of the great responses that you got, a lot of the really positive ones, but also some of the negative ones. How did you deal with those negative responses from people who weren't accepting or who had trouble understanding? Um, I think for me personally, well, many people I think who had negative reactions, we just didn't hear from. Um, I think not very many people are willing to, were willing to share their feelings if, if they weren't in alignment with what we were, you know, doing. But yeah, I mean, I think initially it was maybe it was a little bit of I think right off the bat frustration and anger. Um, and then I think that turned to a little bit of understanding. I mean, when I really had to step back, at least for me, it took me a lot longer than Hillary to kind of figure out and get on board with what was going on. Um, I resisted. I fought it. I didn't understand it. I needed to do my research. And so I, we kind of had to take that mindset of, you know, how could we expect someone to be instantly understanding if, if I myself wasn't understanding? And, you know, we kind of shifted that to, to that, that place of understanding and just compassion for it. And then we, we shifted to a a way of informing and letting people know that that wasn't that face-to-face uh, interaction where they had to give an immediate response through Hillary's letter. We found it was easiest just to, to 
you know, hand this to someone and say, here, please read this. This is what we have going on and feel free to share whatever you think, you know, after you've got some time to think about it. And that would allow people to feel like they could formulate a response after some time and consideration and not feel like they had to instantly give us something because sometimes we got negative from that. So, I mean, I did think it's interesting that you guys, you seem at the beginning of this book like sort of unlikely candidates to have this kind of revelation, right? You're in a very conventional marriage. Jeff, at the time, you worked in a pretty traditionally masculine or even macho world. You worked as a firefighter. And Hillary, you were, you stayed at home and raised the kids. And you've, in the end, had a very unconventional parenting experience. And that was really fascinating to me. How has that changed you? And how has that changed the way that you think about other parents and what they're going through? it just reiterates for me that you don't know what's going on unless you're really living in those shoes. And it's so easy for us to sit back and judge everyone in their parenting and in their lives. But it's like, unless you're really in those shoes, it's hard to really judge. And I can honestly say that it's, it's, I've always been a pretty compassionate person, but I feel like I have even more empathy for others now um, having gone through this and, and having those judgments placed on our family. Um, I just kind of feel like there's two sides to every story, and, and I, I'd like to think that I've grown a lot from this experience, and I try to do my research and just have an open mind in general. So for other parents who might be listening in who are, you know, perhaps in the early stages of, of listening to their children or further along, do you feel like you're now kind of on a timeline, like you, you know when Rylan will get hormone blockers, for instance, or are you not planning that far in advance and you're just where you are right now? You know, we're aware of what the future holds. Obviously, you know, when a child enters or starts puberty is kind of unknown. Um, so we, we just, we're, we're kind of in that uh that, yeah, we're kind of, yeah, but we know we're, we're kind of in that downtime right now, as we like to call it. You know, those things are definitely down the road, and they're coming, and we know there's a time frame, and we know that once puberty does step up uh, and start, that we need to, you know, that's when we start the hormone blockers and buy some more time before, you know, there's any decision on cross-hormones and things like that. But we try not to put too much thought into it at this point um, because we don't have to worry about it yet. But we know it's coming. Yeah. Uh, so Rylan's in second grade now, is that right? Yes. Yes. So he seems like a pretty great little boy from the book. What is life like for him now? Uh, it's a pretty typical uh, childhood. I mean, aside from, you know, some of the things that, you know, that, that, that have come along with going public with this story. But even that, he's uh, pretty sheltered from. He doesn't know all of the different conversations and everywhere that, uh, you know, that this has been talked about. But, you know, his, his day-to-day is, I mean, it's school it's baseball, it's playing the drums, it's playing with his friends, it's, you know, what doing you art. For it's, dinner? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a very typical childhood. Uh, and last question, because I was curious about this. It's not something you get into in the book because she's very little over the course of this book. But his little sister, Brindley, who's born during the course of this story, how does she know Ryland? Does she have any inkling of sort of the interesting life that he's already had? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, though. Um, for a while there, I told Brinley that Ryland's early childhood photos were her because I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so terrible. Seems easier, yeah. It's like a white lie, right? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tell him all the time. Right? Because I, I never wanted her to accidentally out Ryland. Um, there are still many of his friends that he plays with currently who do not know about his history. 
So um, for a while there, we just kind of we hid it from her. But recently, I've had a conversation with her. I mean, she's only three going on four. But I did say, you know, Rylan, when Rylan was born, Mommy and Daddy didn't know that Rylan was a boy until later. We were confused, and we didn't understand. So Rylan is transgender, and she still is so little she doesn't get it. Doesn't get it. But yeah. I, I am trying to explain it to her slowly. <laughs> so... Uh, All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. The book is called Raising Ryland. It is really sweet. I hope our listeners check it out. We'll have a link to it on our show page and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Thank you again, uh, Hillary and Jeff. The book is really cool. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Mom and Dad is also brought to you by Club W. Going to the wine store and either pretending to know what you want or asking for help can be a painful experience. Having wine in your home so that you can drink it is not. That's where Club W comes in. Club W is the world's only personalized wine club, sending you wines matched to your preferences directly to your door. How, you may ask, does Club W know what your preferences are if you don't even know what your preferences are? There's a quiz. You answer a bunch of questions about what flavors you like and don't like, and they take it from there. Club W is leading the grape-to-glass wine revolution. They work directly with vineyards to cut out the middlemen, which saves you money. They offer a no-risk guarantee that you'll love what they send you or your money back. And right now, Club W is offering our listeners 50% off your first order when you go to clubw.com slash momanddad. That's clubw.com slash momanddad for 50% off your first order. Okay, on to our listener call. Each week, we take a listener question and try to answer it. Got questions? Call us at 424-255-7833. We want to hear from you. This week, we have a call from Lou. I have a conundrum. I assigned my three-year-old daughter up for pre-ballet through the city, and on the first day of class, we were running late, and the teacher handed me a photo release form. And so I sort of read through it really quickly, didn't ask a lot of questions, signed it. So we continue to go to ballet, and each week, she, the teacher sends us pictures and links to videos, and I started clicking on them and realized that she had uploaded some of the videos from the three-year-old ballet to her personal YouTube channel that is supporting her ministry. She has a dance ministry. And I feel sort of conflicted about it. I'm not sure that I consented to a YouTube page, and I know I signed the release, but I'm just not sure exactly what I should have done because it didn't feel like there was a choice. So should I complain? Should I just let it go and let this lady who's obviously trying to start something start something and, you know, there's no way somebody I know would ever see my daughter on this page? I just don't know how to feel about this. Um, I love the show, and I hope you can help. Thanks. Bye. I don't think there's anything like necessarily nefarious going on here, but I totally would say something, not like complain. I would just ask if, you know, if if it can be taken down. I mean, you signed a release for a certain use and now she's using it for something else. I don't. How do you know she's using it for something else? I mean, I think it's totally possible that release does cover her using it on her YouTube ministry. Well, I mean, I guess I'd go back and look at the thing that you signed, but. Even if it does, I don't think, I mean, you're not going to, I wouldn't like take legal action against it, but I think we're like human beings and it's fine to, I don't know, if you had signed a release to your preschool to let them put 
photos in their promotional materials and then you changed your mind. Obviously, they're not going to like rip up all their promotional materials, but you could ask them not to use the photo next time. And I don't think that would be a strange request. They wouldn't be like, you know, F you, you signed the form. Right. But so that's different than telling them to take down the videos, telling her to take down the videos she already put up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could add, you could tell her that you're uncomfortable and see what she says. And if she says, I'm sorry, this is, you know, you signed this thing and it's already up there, then that's sort of it. And you could ask her not to use it going forward. I would not, like, bother. I, I mean, I don't think you're overreacting, Lou, necessarily. I get why you are uncomfortable with it. But I would not bother, like, making this point. I would not, like, go to her in the middle of the class session for pre-ballet and say, hey, this release that I signed, I take it all back, and please don't do it anymore. I would just, like, let it go. There's, There are not millions of people, as you say, seeing your kid on on this lady's dance ministry YouTube page. So you should just let it slide. And next time, you either find a different dance class or you just don't sign the release next time. And you say, oh, you know what? We decided we're going to try to keep our daughter off the Internet. Sorry. And it'll be fine. But you don't need to, like, I just think it's not worth the hassle. Okay. I mean, I don't see what the hassle is. I feel like I just think it's bound to like cause this like dumb, weird conversation, and then she and then Lou is going to be constantly worried about whether the dance class teacher secretly secretly resents her three year old, and the dance class teacher is going to definitely think that Lou thinks that she's crazy, and like why go through that? I just, I mean, it's a losing battle anyway. Like your daughter's image is going to appear all over the place in ways that you haven't consented to that's right <laughs> um, we're using it on promotional pages for this show actually <laughs> right. Lou. Thank i you. hope that's okay we actually got it from the ministry's youtube page <laughs> uh but you're the parent and i think it's fine to like not know exactly what you think and change your mind about something or like uh, realize there you know maybe you didn't pay enough attention to begin with and talk as like parent to Human, you know, human to human about it. I don't think it's. I don't think you need to cause a big stink about it. I agree with Dan. If it feels like it's going to become a thing, I wouldn't continue to fight the battle. It doesn't seem like a big enough deal to fight the battle, but you know, I would address it. All right. If you would like to have us disagree on the air about the answer to your question, give us a call and leave us a message at four two four two five five seven eight three three. Thanks, Lou, for your call. Or go to our Facebook page and choose one of us. Choose the right one. <laughs> the Make the right choice, guys. Mom and Dad is also brought to you by The Terrible Two Get Worse. The Terrible Two Get Worse is the hilarious sequel to The Terrible Two, which spent over 10 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Published by Amulet Books, the series has turned the world upside down and is perfect for fans of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. The authors, longtime friends, and certified pranksters, Mac Barnett and Jory John, are bent on prankster domination in this new installment. In The Terrible Two Get Worse, pranksters Miles and Niles were pretty devious. Now that they've formed a pranking duo, they're terrible. But their powers will be tested when their favorite nemesis, Principal Barkin, is replaced by his stern and cunning father, former Principal Barkin. Now Miles and Niles will do just about anything to get their old antagonist back, including pranking alongside him. Check out this great book that shows kids how they can work with their elders to solve problems. We are actually in the middle of reading this book. We are just at the part where Miles and Niles are cooking up some great prank using a extreme, an extremely hot hot pepper. Uh, and I can't wait to see tonight how it turns out. <laughs> the series is really great. Yeah. Uh, and thank you, Abrams Books, for your support. Yep. All right, moving on to our second segment. 
As we record this show, voters in Ohio, Florida, Illinois, North Carolina, and Missouri are going to their polling stations, many of them located in the schools that their children attend, and casting votes. Votes which will quite likely have made Donald Trump the real, live, presumptive GOP nominee by the time you are listening to this podcast. So, what to tell the kids? If bullies never win, why then is Donald Trump? Is it our job to calm our children's fears about the future president possibly deporting them or their neighbors? Or should we speak honestly about the real threat he poses to our democracy? What about all that penis talk on the news? Joining us today to sort this all out is New York Times television critic Jim Ponowazic, who also happens to be a smart dad of two boys, 11 and 14. Hey, Jim. Hey. So let's start by all saying that this is a um, this is a politically biased conversation because we all despise Donald Trump, right? Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we are all East Coast coastal elites. Yeah. I don't think we're uh, fooling anybody here. We're, we are not his base. Okay, we are not his base. So I have, I have written about him many times in the past, none of them especially complimentary, although I did interview him once when The Apprentice was starting and um, shook his hand, which he supposedly never does. I think I, I gave him germs because one of my kids was a toddler at the time, but, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Anyway, that's my brush with shame. Oh my God, that's like the dead zone too, almost. <laughs> okay, so what have you guys told your kids so far? So, you know, my kids, I think this is probably the, the first election that they've really been not aware of because they've been aware of earlier elections and we've taken them voting with us and that sort of thing, but, you know, really been able to, to follow. Um, my, my, my younger son is actually probably more into the election than my, my older son is. Not that he's necessarily political in the sense of, you know, and I don't think he has like strong feelings about, you know, the, the TPP or, you know, whatever, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a competition, and it's interesting and engaging in, in, in that sort of thing. He, he kind of uh, enjoys that kind of thing. Um, and one thing that I've been struck by that is sort of weird in dealing, you know, with an election that features somebody like Donald Trump, who is, you know, like, not just talking about his penis, but like constantly, blatantly insulting other candidates during debates and so on. Um, is that kids seem to pick up on this in a way that I think even jaded adults don't necessarily, which is sort of, how is this happening? <laughs> you, know, I, I, you know, I remember my kids giving sort of this response to it, like, all of this guy does is insult people. How is he allowed to run for president, right? Because, you know, I, I was sort of struck by this as uh, sort of a generational difference. You guys can tell me if this is your experience, but... The culture of, of anti-bullying and bullying awareness and so forth is, I think, so much more prevalent, and, 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 and education is so saturated with it now in a way that it wasn't uh, when we were children. And, and suddenly, in this competition to be the you know leader of all the adults in the United States of America, to be the leader of the country, uh, here is somebody who, who, who blatantly is doing something that they can identify as as verbal bully. What can you tell them about that other other than you know? Yes, the, the the reason you're learning about that sort of stuff is that this behavior does exist in the world. You know. Yeah, it's easy for I think for kids, maybe easier than it is for adults to very simply identify 
the the lead character trait of this person who's in the news now, which is because every time they see him, he's doing something that they recognize from their own lives. He is being big and blustery and blowhardy and mean, and they know people like that in their lives, and it's been identified to them, as you say, Jim, through like constant bullying uh, awareness campaigns that, oh, well, that's what this guy is. I get it. So, But then, yes, that leads to the next question, which is, well, if someone in our school does that, he'll get in trouble. Why doesn't Donald Trump get in trouble? And what is the answer to that? Because America, Allison, because America isn't as good as we're teaching our kids it actually is. I mean, this is the part of things that I find so hard is that, like, I, I'm comfortable talking about, you know, what a bad man Donald Trump is. I'm not as comfortable talking about why people are voting for him, which is the which is the real question for them. Right. And for well, me, and, I guess. And for everyone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it hasn't been so in our house. I think Donald Trump has served as a sort of delightful cartoon villain in the way that he has for much of his life and career and in the way that only recently has sort of been subverted in the public eye as him being viewed by people on some side as a serious actual candidate who might solve their problems and on the other side as not a cartoon villain but maybe an actual villain. Um, and so we haven't sort of taken that next step to talking about why people view him in any other way than as a weird bully who's on TV a lot. But I do think that those conversations are interesting and not and not worth like sort of shying away from i do think it's useful to talk to kids about well when people vote they make these decisions for all different kinds of reasons and what you and i see as him being a bully other people read simply as strength and what they want most out of a candidate is strength or what they want most out of a candidate is speaking to this view i'm, I'm sure it, i'm sure it depends a lot on how old your kids are you know, I mean, my, my, my kids are older and in uh, uh, junior high and high school. And, and so, uh, you know, I think I can talk about this sort of stuff with them a little bit more on the level of, you know, these are the, the actual issues that people are concerned about. And, and they, you know, see him as making such and such promises about immigration and they're scared for their jobs. And so, you know, they respond to that, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know if you, you, you guys, you know, again, coming from the uh, coastal urban environments that we do are as conscious of this as, as, as I do. But I, I really also, I feel like I want to guard against smugness when talking to my kids about, about these things. I think it's very, I, I, I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn. It is very easy to raise your kids in a place like this with, with the notion that there are not other people in the world who don't think like you. And, and and if there are, they are, you know, benighted people who must be made to, to you know, see, see the light. I think that that would probably be a different concern than I'd have if my kids were, say, five. And it's more simply talking about, you know, a, a behavior and the fact is that, you know, there are people who act like this in the world. And that's why you need to know about bullying and how to deal with bullying and so on. Um, but, you know, I... I I'm also I'm also cautious about sort of framing this as you know some kind of pronouncement where they they don't get to think about this for themselves. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, yes, and you know part of part of the point of the election is to sort of is to determine how much these ideas have sway over the population as a whole, and I think that's part of the lesson we're teaching them. So there's this there's this column in the Post last week. Um, the Washington Post that Petula Dvorak wrote, um, decrying what she called the Trump effect. 
which she says she sees infecting schools and kids all over the country. She talks about a, n- a number of different uh, cases, you know, of like high school basketball fans for a mostly white school yelling at the team of a uh, a mostly Latino school build that wall um, and some, and an incident down here about someone a third graders making fun of third graders who weren't from the United States telling them that they were going to get deported if Trump won and um, Dvorak writes even if they're not taking their phrases directly from Trump's playbook his orchestrated free for all has unleashed a growing atmosphere of hate so that's her concern about Trump that he that he's sort of creating this overarching world of hatred that is infecting our kids. Do you guys think that there is a Trump effect? Do you think that's real? Um, I think it's a real, you know, it's a real concern for me. And it's a concern for me with with adults as much as it is for kids. You know, I, I think like one way of putting that is it's not so much the idea that he's brainwashing people and make them, making them think a certain thing or having a bigotry that they didn't used to have or whatever, but it's sort of, you know, the, the, the refrain of he just says what everybody's thinking and they're afraid to say. So, you know, number one, that sort of validates these, you know, you know these, these dark thoughts that people have and it gives them permission to say things. Um, you know, one thing that, that the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the bullying talk, I would say, if anything, and I, I don't want to sound Pollyannish, but it gives me a little optimism about, is that, I, you know, I, I actually almost worry about that more with adults than, than, than with kids. Um, it, uh, you know, and I haven't, like, done sociological research about this or whatever, but, you know, I do feel that kids today, and it's not just in sort of, you know, uh, Ill, uh, elite yuppie enclaves or whatever, but get a level of education about, uh, you know, bullying and, you know, the way to speak to people and so on, that really was not a part of our education when we were kids. Um, so to, to the extent that I worry about it, I sort of worry that, you know, it, 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 it kind of undermines that. I, I'm, I guess I'm less hopeful about the impact of bullying education, but I... I think kids are mean and they will always find a language to be mean uh, with. And so I don't I mean, I believe that these things are really happening and they're awful and, you know, horrifying. But I, you know, I think it's just like it's um, it's it's an old (laughs) story with new words. Um, So that doesn't that doesn't scare me the most, I guess. So, again, this isn't to belittle this stuff, but just to say that. I think it goes on anyway and that kids now have, you know, unfortunately kids now have uh, a new framework for it, which stinks, but I'm not, wor- I'm not panicked about it, like exploding into something bigger than that right now. What feels different is that there's also this added level of tension in the adults. Like you, Allison, I don't actually think that, that Trumpism has really trickled down that much to kids. I think that the kids who are yelling things about Trump now a year ago would have been yelling other horrible things. I don't think that Trump made them bullies. I think that they're just assholes who now have a different kind of language to be assholes in. But I do think that the the concern that we should all have and that that we'll see what happens as this campaign goes on and if Donald Trump gets elected president is whether the sort of grander atmosphere of the country gets poisoned in a way that gives both kids and adults who are who are aligned with Trump 
Trump's philosophy, a greater freedom to say the things, as Jim noted, that we're all really thinking, um, but which are actually horrible to say, um, or whether uh, and, and whether people who are sort of on the outside looking in from this political philosophy do continue to feel greater and greater fear about speaking up about it. I mean, the answer at this point is still if you're being bullied, if your kid is being bullied, whether it has to do with Trump or not, you need to go to the school authorities. But admittedly, that is potentially tougher if you live in a tiny town where the school principal backs Trump. And what are you going to say then? But I do. I mean, I I do think that even in communities like this, most school principals and administrators do not want kids to be bullied, even if the kids doing the bullying are using language that they might philosophically agree with in some way. Right. I mean, I hope so. I have to believe so. I'm curious a little bit back to what Jim was saying a couple of answers ago. More generally, how do you guys feel about trying to sort of insert your political ideas directly into your children's brains? <laughs> I mean, look, here's my thing about it. I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a small town in, in the Midwest in Michigan. And one reason that I don't live in a small town anymore was that I, I, I didn't like living in a place where it felt like there was social pressure to believe the same things as everybody else around you does. Um, so you moved and to now you side. live in the think, same kind I of place. That, I think that people like, say, you know, in Brownstone, Brooklyn, are not always as conscious that they are in many ways as parochial um, as the people in the rest of America that they sometimes disdain. Uh, you know, so, so I'll talk about, like, my political beliefs with my kids and, uh, you know, what I think of candidates, and, you know, it, it, uh, I'll be, be straight with them about that. But I try to it, – it, it's important to me to put it in a context of, you know, by the way, you know, you could support a different candidate than I did, and that would be fine. There's not, like – a single right belief to have in this household. You know, number one, I just don't think that that's right. And number two, I think that's really counterproductive, you know. And again, you know, my kids are 11 and, and 14. It, it's it's sort of, you know, becoming a point in their lives where I feel that it's kind of, you know, good to follow elections and develop these skills of formulating your own alignments and identities and, and opinions for yourself. Uh, and, to, you know, Try to, to to try to impose anything on them. I think is, is counterproductive anyway. I'm pretty pro like yelling about your political beliefs to kids. Like they're gonna, there's an equal chance basically that they will adopt your beliefs as an adult or rebel against them. Like so, if you feel strongly about something, I feel like conveying that passion to your kids is great. I have very fond memories of growing up in the 80s and various adults in my life just hating the Reagans, like with a fiery passion and talking about it a lot. And like that made a real impact on me. And I don't know if it influenced my eventual political beliefs, but I loved like seeing people be able to say those things about the leaders of the country and get so angry and passionate about it. So I sort of feel like at this point, if you hate Donald Trump, like you should talk shit about Donald Trump because next year President Trump is not going to let you get away with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there's a difference between being willing to talk passionately about your political beliefs with your kids and saying, and these are the right political beliefs and a yeah. decent person holds these. Right. I, yeah, I like to talk about it in terms of the things that I care about and that I think are important and what the, and what the candidates think of those things. 
I mean, you know, my husband is very, makes it very black and white, and I, I don't love that. I mean, last, you know, he, they went around saying Romney is a bad man last time, and I don't, you know, now he seems perfectly fine and acceptable. Um, but yeah, but is that the case now with Trump? Who? No, who now like this is, is like a, bad a really guy. bad man. Yeah, exactly. I've had to say like Dad was wrong. Actually, let's let's sit down and watch Mitt because. Uh, but no, I mean you know they Hillary's the the best of the worst is what one of them says, but she lies and you know they have it all like boiled down in their little talking points from John and I I don't love that, um, but I do love having like the open conversation about the things that we think are important and which candidates are like most likely to work on those issues even though they're not perfect and have, you know, bad parts of themselves too, like we all do. I guess I would also say, you know, and the, the particular wrinkle with this election too, and if uh, to circle back to Donald Trump, is that you can sort of divide the political arguments, which I think it's like, you know, great to have with your kids, whatever age, at whatever level, in any election. And then there's another part, which is simple, like personal behavior. Uh, you, you, you know, you know. I, I think like it's totally reasonable to say to your kids, you know, don't be a dick to people the way that that Donald Trump is. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, don't. You know, it's it's not cool to insult people in this manner. To you know, behave uh, like such and such. That's sort of a different thing from you know. We, you know, as long as you live under my roof, you will believe in a, a single payer health care, you know. All right. So thank you, Jim Ponowazek, for joining in and uh, check out his writing on TV and occasionally his handshakes with Donald Trump at The New York Times. Yeah, thank you. All right. Recommendations. Dan. Okay, for those of you who are worried about how your kids see Donald Trump, uh, I recommend giving your tween or teen a collection of late 1980s Bloom County strips. Please recall that in the great year 1988, Burke Breathed, the uh, cartoonist behind Bloom County, had Donald Trump get hit by his own solid gold anvil, rendering his body uh, a useless hulk, but leaving his brain intact, and his brain was transplanted into Bill the Cat's body. And then Bill the Cat, with Trump's brain, ran for president, and then Trump bought the whole comic. Anyways, it's great. And in general, I recommend it because it has really improved our discussions of Trump around the house. It just gives us a lot more to talk about. And it has helped our overall goal of our kids seeing Trump as a clown. Uh, you can find those trips in the Bloom County Complete Library, Volume 5. We'll have a link on our show page and our Facebook page. Allison. That is a good one. Um, I would like to recommend the 1994 movie Little Giants, starring Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> Uh, this is the current favorite in our house of child football fanatics, and it's great. It's There are not as many, like, um, that's not okay moments as in the Bad News Bears, which right. I also enjoyed and maybe recommended on the show, despite all of its that's not okay moments. Uh, but it's still dated in good ways, and it's just a great tale of misfits and outcasts triumphing over the jerks, and it's got toilet paper humor and a nice message for young girls, and it ends with your kids, like, cheering on the couch, which is always... A great way to end a movie on movie yeah. night. Yeah, that also is like one of the last appearances of Rick Moranis before his triumphant retirement. One of the all-time great Hollywood stories of him just getting sick of making movies and quitting, and then being perfectly happy for the rest of his life. Really, and he's never yeah. done anything since. I mean, I don't I, know. But I mean, this he movie, maybe did but... right. Yes, since he retired, he's never really has done anything. Wow. Yeah, he's it's like great. He is so happy. <laughs> I maybe he's. I bet he could. He maybe he should come on the show. 
<laughs> we should, except for I think he Come doesn't care about that shit anymore. <laughs> well, maybe he cares about parenting. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, that's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fighting. Send us an email at slate.com to suggest guests or topics. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. Check out Panoply's full roster of shows at itunes.com slash panoply. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, and our intern, Shiva Byatt. Thanks to Steve Lichtai, the managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and to Andy Bowers, head of Panoply. Thanks to our guests, Hillary and Jeff Winnington, and Jim Ponowozik. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Allison. And thank you all for listening. Send the poets. Vulnerable people, not invulnerable drones. That was poet Saul Williams with his radical suggestion for dealing with ISIS. I'm Jason Gotts, host of Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Each week we surprise smart people with topics they're not prepared to discuss. Salman Rushdie on astrophysics, Jesse Ventura on alien life forms. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Think Again. It's deep fun. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.